Huzzah! Welcome to a new episode of Stuck at Home with me, Cliff Dorfman, and this guy. And I taste a liquor never brewed from tankers scooped in pearl. Not all the Frankfurt berries yield such alcohol. Inebriate of air, I am, and debauchy of dew, reeling into endless summer days from inns of molten blue. When landlords turn the drunken bee out the foxglove's door, when butterflies renounce their drams, I shall but drink the more. Tell seraphs swing their snowy hats and saints to windows run to see the little tippler leaning against the sun. I'm Jason Smith. Wow, that was awesome. <laughs> Emily Dickinson. Little Emily Dickinson to start it off. I tried to find, well, you think it's all about, it's all about sad stuff. Like when you're, when you're a kid, you grow up and like, that's the, that's the one they teach you. Like that's when all the, the girls turn, you know, like all the kids turn goth in your honors English class and start writing about uh, <laughs> spider webs. Like I have a whole <laughs> journal full of like sad, what I call my sad bastard poetry. Like I listened to too much Smiths and like got an <laughs> Emily Dickinson book. Hey Jason, let me ask you something. Yeah. Who are we? We are the show that, that loves films and TV, it. and we want um, and we we want to share what we like with with you. Go. And we tell you all about the streaming wars, what to stream, where to stream it. All right, Jason, what are you watching? Well, you know what I'm watching right now. Tell me. I'm watching that thing keep growing on your face. This is the. <laughs> I thought you were gonna let it go. Nope. Nope. My mustache. No, it's great. It's great. I mean, you know, it's always good to have a proud boy in the. <laughs> Wait, did Land just write Big Dickinson Energy? Yeah, he wrote Big Dickinson Energy. That's exactly what Land wrote. I love Land. Uh, Hi, Land. Did. You're the best. No, um, so I well, one, and I'm really getting we'll we'll get into this more is why I got yeah. to watch got a little sneak preview of season two of Dickinson, which is outstanding on Apple Plus. Um, the other thing I've been watching is I, I did get into a little bit of that uh the show about the swears. Oh yeah, with on Nick Cage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll talk about that. But this is what I love about our job. <laughs> I'm always so hesitant to call it a job because it just doesn't seem like one, but like we got to watch the whole second season of Dickinson early, which right. was, I couldn't believe it was work. Also, you got to cosplay as the community college professor that takes advantage <laughs> of her, his newly uh, found poetry uh, protege. So good for you. They have a, they have a guy in there. He says the opposite. He's like, no, I'm happily married. This is never going to happen. No, sorry. <laughs> Maybe it is happening. I'm not saying it might happen. I'm not saying what happened. What I will say. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, with this mustache, I mean, there's really no other yeah, way to go. What are you going to do? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Why does a mustache just just reek of predator? Well, because it can hold all the DNA, I think is what the answer is. Oh, my God. That's horrible. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. It's okay. It's okay. What I will say, though, <laughs> is this new season, like, you know what a fanboy I was in the first season. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I tried to get you to watch Legion and uh, Doom Patrol, and you're like, nah, yeah, whatever, in a year. You were on this show from the first season. Like, you didn't have to be convinced. No, the day it came out, I was into it. Well, you know, once you have Haley Steinfeld, already you know you're dealing with a prodigy and you're going to get something great. And then what uh, Alina has done as the creator and her whole crew uh, and her whole team, I'll say, is is something that is, it's like a sustained meditation on the creative process and love. And mm -hmm. it, it's buried, though, within this love story about, you know, friendship and romanticism. It's just this fantastic, it's like I feel like this is some of the best TV that's out there. And I'm not just saying that because of our guest today. I'm really no, excited. Say, I mean, I, I mean, I'll, I'll, I got your back in any court of law, um, <laughs> except the one where you go to jail for that. that uh, 
<laughs> for your underground uh, uh, basement filled with <laughs> underground fight slash sex club. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wait, uh, Jason, so anyone wants to know how how long is the beer going to get? Oh yeah, no, it needs to go every day. It I it's still here. It. It, I keep saying it. Like I wake up, I, I'll tell my um, wife, like you're going to help me get this all trimmed up and cleaned up. <laughs> I want to cut. Yeah, I want to cut it several times a week, and we just go. Okay, we'll do it in the morning when it's like right before shower time. Like, and then then something will happen, and so it just doesn't happen. So the answer is it'll grow forever. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to tell you something in about another week, you're going to need a production designer for that beard. I know. I know. Right. I'm getting ready to do the Captain Lou thing where I just put it in a <laughs> bunch of rubber bands, but okay. So the, but no, but you've been talking about this show yeah. for since, since it came out first season, since we started talking about Apple plus is like, you gave me this as like a, Hey, no, don't worry about it. We got a lot of stuff coming right now. Focus on Dickinson. You're going to love it. And yeah, you're I right. Because I listen to you. Thank you. No, and I listen to you, which is why I'm now, you know, neck deep in Legion, which is... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Right, but we'll get into that. But what I got the break from Legion was this second season of, of Dickinson. And I think let's let's, let's bring them on, right? Because I, I just want to get into this, right? So without any further ado, production designer extraordinaire of Dickinson, ladies and gentlemen, Neil. Neil Patel. Hey guys, how you yeah. doing? <laughs> What's up, Neil? How you doing, buddy? Thank you for I'm being good. I'm Welcome good. I'm good. I'm here uh, working on season three. <laughs> Are you really? <laughs> oh, yeah. We're in prep for season three. I'm in the office right now. Official pickup. Yeah. Okay. Tell everyone to say hi. Hi. <laughs> I, <will>. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, first of all, I have to say congratulations on, on Eric. This season is a tour de force. Did you, did you know this going in? Like, did you feel it? Is there an energy around the production that you just feel you're doing something different? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely like it's it's unlike anything else I've ever done, and anything else I think is on that's on television. And uh, I think we have like such an amazing cohesive team led by Elena and Haley. And you know, you know when something has vision, and this show does. And uh, yeah, everyone, you know, everybody wants every you know, every time you do a job, you want it to be the best thing you can possibly you give, put your best into everything. But when you know something's kind of extraordinary and, and um, you know, the way everything, you know, the way you described it, the way it involved poetry and, and um, the yeah, visually bringing that world, the creative process and, and, and the kind of like we kind of crazy psychedelic vision of the Victorian era that we were yes. able to bring out. It's just, it's just a blast. Well, okay, so I want to get, I have so many questions, but I, I first want to just go back a little because, you know, so many of our, we call our stuck at homies, we, we, we like to know how this happens, right? So where did you, like, how did you know you wanted to be in production design? And if you could just give me a little of your path, like, did you go to college? Is this something you knew that you always wanted to do? No, I, I went to college to study architecture. I always was into, you know, I was like an art kid in high school and always hanging out and, you know, sculpture, painting. I loved all that stuff. I didn't really know that much about theater or filmmaking at the time. But when I went to college, I got into um, designing sets 
for people because I was, you know, an art architecture student. People knew I knew how to make things. And I just totally loved the, it's really about the collaboration and the social aspect of it and working together with group of people to make something was amazing. And I really started my career in theater design. I studied, um, I ended up going to MFA program and learning about theater design and moved to New York, worked off Broadway, Broadway, opera, all that kind of stuff. All uh, got to travel a lot, and um, eventually, through through writers I knew in the theater who were making crossover into film and television, um, I got asked to be do my first big production design was for In Treatment for HBO and Warren Light, who was a showrunner. I did his show on Broadway, and that was kind of my oh. leap into that world. I and love then, that show. That was a Gabriel Byrne. That was a fun show, yeah. Oh, I mean, I don't know God. if it's show, it's fun. It's intense show. No, it was intense, but it it's was, cool it was show. great. I still think about it sometimes, the the different clients and everything. That show really left a mark. Yeah, it's a good show. Yeah, really, really good writing and fantastic yeah. cast. And... Based on an Israeli show. Yep, exactly. Like a lot of good shows now. They well, but, but not Dickinson, because, you know, this is the amazing thing about Dickinson, too. When we're when we're drowning in a sea of original, you know, of uh, of underlying IP, you have Elena and you and team doing something so original and not from this source material, which is just fantastic. Yeah, yeah. It's, an invent it's, it's you know, it's, it's Emily Dickinson, but it's totally Elena's invention of this, you know, person this teenager who could be a 2020 teenager in this crazy world and you said you uh, you did opera so you we're looking at a scene right now but i mean you you did opera so that that scene at the opera must have really been like oh i'm home. that was uh, yeah that was an amazing bringing together everything that i've i've kind of done um because we got to put an opera production up that was supposed to, that was happening in 1859 mm -hmm. and uh, and a television show which was amazing and um, yeah we turned the we turned the lobby of an old movie house in New Jersey into a 19th century opera house which was which was really cool Oh, is that what is that what I was just going to ask you? That's okay. So let's go back now because because I want to get to yeah. that because we're later in the season on this. But I want to I want to start with the okay. So was there a football at all? Because I'm seeing a lot of, of browns and blues. Blue seems like to be the prevalent color. Am I off on this? Blue, yeah. Because the big big visual change in season two is we have a whole new house. We have evergreens, which is right. based on a real house. It was built right next to Homestead, which is a house we see in season one. It was built for Emily's brother. Austin and and Sue and the Dickinson spent enormous amount of money on it and it was like very much the most fashionable kind of style of architecture at the time it was a I kind of describe it as a Victorian Italian villa you know it was like you know the the homestead house is sort of your kind of classic federal style Victorian though very beautiful in its way this is like a much more show this is a showboat kind of house where it's going to have all these um salons with artists and writers and parties and it's they're they're spending the dickinson money on this on that this they don't house. have that they don't have yeah they're spending <laughs> the money they don't have on this house. and and the, the 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 main colors became blue and green blue green and gold were the kind of signature colors for that set which really influenced the palette of the season well so, so tell me what was the palette of the season was it blue green and gold well, yeah, blue, 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 green, and gold were the specific colors, and of course we have an opera, so that has a lot of gilting and elegant, you know, kind of. But I'd say in general, there's like a move towards a kind of opulence, 
and and a kind of luxury in the world that we hadn't really seen in season one. And that's because these what we were introduced as these teenagers are now becoming young adults. They're spending money they don't have, but they're they're kind of entering the adult world, marriage, infidelity, intrigue, all that kind of stuff that happens. Um, yeah, there's a great line uh, that Austin says, Austin says, where he says, just yesterday, last year we were kids, and now we're in our 20s. And yeah, yeah, that was like exactly. in their 40s back then. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, because people were dying when they were 32. So, <laughs> Yeah, that, they, but it really leaves a mark when Jane's uh, writing her will out with Austin. You know, it's a really a moment. Right. Because yeah. that is, you have to start worrying in your 20s. Like, oh, I'm going to die. I got 10 years left. Oh, it's amazing in that period. I mean, death, we saw in season one. I mean, death yeah. was a reality. But, you know, the winter, people didn't make it through the winter. They just died, got disease, and there was no penicillin. So the death is a huge element in this. But this idea, that kind of opulence, and the other big theme, which is not necessarily a palette theme, is this idea of fame that we're really dealing with and, um, and the printing press. And we're kind of making a connection between the print and maybe the technology of today, like social media and the way we communicate, the way people can become very quickly well-known and famous. So that in that first episode, we created a 19th century steam-driven um, printing press mm. and yeah. uh, kind of showing that mechanism. The world is expanding to that. Well, it's a real yeah. paper, the Republicans. Sorry, right? It, yeah. it was a real paper. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and Semples was a, that's based on a real character who had a, a correspondence with Emily Dickinson. Yeah, I, I mean, okay, so so let's go back to Evergreens. This is a hot set, right? Evergreens. Yeah. Is it a location? Did you find a house or did no, you? No, we this? we built the whole thing. Holy so, shit! <laughs> so we, well, we tell did, me about we, that. Well, the process is we went up to um, Amherst and we looked at the real Evergreens, and then we came back here and we started thinking about what we wanted to, you know, we based it on the ground plan of the real evergreens, but the look is different because we're really trying to conjure. Elena really, the directive she gave me was this needs to really contrast the look of Homestead. So when you go into this house, you know, you're in a completely different world. This is a, you know, a young woman who's aspiring to have like a European salon. So there's a great deal of like pretense and, and just showiness to it that, that needs. So we, we started, we raised the ceilings. We, we printed our set decorator. I worked with her to find, she found this incredible process where we printed our own wallpaper on fabric. So the walls are all covered in this fabric. It's something we saw in a museum up in Boston that we liked that for the period that just gave a sense of like luxury and the, the fabric had this beautiful depth on camera. And then she's got this incredible collection of paintings, which it's a 19th century collection, but it would have been like the most fashionable thing at the time, right? The, these, the kind of paintings she had. She had the American Hudson River School and then all these European masters. And well, so we meet that so, artist. Yeah, and we meet, yeah. So it's like being in a, in a kind of gallery party space that they've created. Now, that, well, let me so ask that, you. Oh, sorry. Now, I just wanted to ask you something because I was blown away by the picture walls and, and all the pictures, mm -hmm. especially in Evergreens. What was, did you use real, like, repl like replicas of real pictures or were you making your own stuff up? No, they're real. They're all based on real. They're all real. We did is we, we, it was a long process picking the paintings that I worked out with. Uh, we have an incredible um, set decoration team and we, we did different layouts and it, they're all, they're all real paintings. We print them. We do high resolution prints onto onto canvas and then our scenic artists come in and they add texture so it looks like a real painting 
So they're all they're all actual paintings. Some of them are in museums, some of them are in private collections, but they're reproductions of of, of the real deal. Really, that's very interesting. Yeah. I, okay, so so let me let me go back a second because this is just something I love to ask. This is a you know you've done a lot of big jobs. It's the path, which by the way is is a is a favorite show of mine. I really love that show. Oh yeah, thank you. And I, I, love, I love, love the starkness of the cult. It's something mm-hmm. that was just so interesting. And this is the exact opposite. But why I bring that up is I want to ask because you've done some big stuff, but now you go in, you meet Elena, Elena, right? Yeah, right. I don't want to get it wrong. Yeah, Elena. Elena, and would you? Can you tell us just a little about that interview process, like, and and getting the job? Because you still have to do it, right? No matter how esteemed you are, you still have to go in there, and you do have to do it. And what you do, I mean, the way it works is you get, you know, if you you, first of all, it's hard to get the interview. interview. And then when you get the interview, they send you scripts, uh, of course, you know. And then you, you, I always present. I think everybody does. I present a lookbook of like my vision for what I, you know, what I'm taking away from the script. And that's part of the interview is I show pictures of, this is the way I see it. This is what I would do into the season. Cause they really want to know, like, you know, besides the, the function of production designer, what are you personally bringing to the show? What's your, your take on it? What are your influences and things you like? So I brought together, you know, images and, and put together, you know, like a, about a 10 page book just of, of looks reactions i didn't have the whole season i had a couple episodes but i knew right. the, the big touch you know the big points we were going to make visually so right. did you have themes that you went into with it like that you wanted to explore or was it kind of like a, a you know a collaborative thing where you kind of found it along the way yeah there definitely it's definitely it's, i mean it's, it's always a collaboration the the thing i brought to it you know my 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 background is architecture so i was really fascinated with this evergreens house mm-hmm. so i had some really specific architectural references not necessarily partly taking riffing off the actual historical real building but that's not that's a you know we're not a we're not a museum show we're not reproducing it as you're it not was. doing so the crown you're, you're we're doing not something doing hip it's something yeah it's something so i was looking at a lot of uh, other houses like hudson river schoolhouses in particular that they had the new york money at the time so they're just mm. a little it is a little um sexier and more elegant than the new england thing so i really want to push it in that direction um, so partly just to make the contrast and also because those houses are just, they're just beautiful and ornate, you know, just, just a blast to detail as a, you know, as designer, it's incredible treat. So that was, that was the main thing. And then the other thing, like with the, with the print, those things, I just wanted to add a sense of scale to the season mm-hmm. because the first, the, the first season is very internal. We're in rooms, but you know, we're, we're not, out a lot and i really want to show like a big you know this is the industry of the time the industrial revolution is happening there's all this stuff going on you know we're on a train we're seeing a giant printing press just so you get a sense of the world outside of the dickens and Amherst. so those were my two kind of um my two main um sort of ideas going into it and then it kind of grows and expands of course with with collaboration of course. Now, did you, this might be a silly question. I don't know. Excuse my uh, naivete, but did you have anything to do with any of the carriages as well? Or is that a props thing? That's a props thing. And mm-hmm. um, that are, we have a brilliant prop master and she finds those. The one thing that was done in season one was the interior of death's carriage. And that was, that was very much designed. That was designed. Um, in, I inherited that from the other season and the set decorator, uh, Marina, who worked with, had done that interior of that. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, so so now we have evergreens, right? And then well, the hedges—that's location, right? Those hedges. That is, oh, that's a good question. That was yeah. a really difficult thing. Yeah, <sighs> blown away. Yes by and the way. No, we, I had to, we didn't have a hedge maze. You, there was no hedge maze maze on the east coast that we could use. All the big ones are in Europe. So we had. So what we did is. Um, and I, uh, that's the other great, I mean, I, I mentioned all these people cause I work with such brilliant clubs. Um, we have a Please. brilliant visual effects supervisor law. I worked with her, um, in the maze and the printing press in particular, I had to create enough of a maze that we could shoot the practical scenes of Emily in the maze. And then visual effects grew the maze into the thing you get to see in the show. So we actually, uh, with another brilliant person, our greens person, mm-hmm. we had to order and find like 200 trees and plant in the in the maze configuration that we shot practically. Oh, wow! So and, you bought 200 uh, trees. Yeah, and we and we planted them, and we made like a mini maze that we could shoot. And then, if you saw past that maze, we have blue screen. And we extend the maze with visual effects, and then of course we had that we did a we had a drone shot where you. you, you probably remember we just go up and up and up and it expands that only the very center of it where you see emily running is real and everything else is visual effects yeah and what what i also noticed about which it was it was mind-blowing really it's 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 absolutely aesthetically gorgeous and and also you know it's very story related but you also seem to set yourself was it a concern when you're doing this because you succeeded either way but to set yourself apart from the shining because that's really the biggest hedge yeah. maze. You know, everyone in film is going to think, "Oh, Shining," but you made it your own. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that was a big that was a big concern, and we, you know, of course, I looked at all the precedents of mazes. You know, The Shining and and Harry Potter was the other one that came to mind. Right. You know, mazes, and those are like more sculpted privet hedges. You know, where they're very square, and I wanted this one to be wilder and more. Dickinsonian, for lack of a better word, you know, there's something about like her relationship to nature, and you know, because she was she collected flowers, she had a garden, she was famously connected to birds, insects, flowers, and the connection in her poetry. So I, I felt like this maze needed to have a kind of wild aspect to it. So that's why it's not all even; it's not perfectly manicured. It's and and then in its pattern, it's not geometric right angles; it's organic shapes, which is also is to geek out on the history part of Please. it. You know, that scene is with Olmsted, the designer yes. of Central Park and many other parks. So he, Olmsted, was like a bohemian crazy guy who went, you know, he would go hang out in the place he was going to design the park and like feel the space and figure out how to design it. So this is the beginning of, a, you know, it's the opposite of a kind of structured European French garden. It's an organic, freewheeling, um, you know, kind of invention. So... Anyway, that that was that was the impetus for the maze design. Yeah, and the guy who played, he's from Veep. He played him fabulously. And great, was right? Hilarious. Great. Yeah. And I, I kept wondering, yeah. like, was this guy in real life a horticulturist? Like, how does he know all these trees and everything? He's like the scent of it. It was crazy. Yeah, he, he was really convincing, and it was uh, amazing, amazing character. That guy. Well, You've had a, a, a cavalcade of those come through this this season. Um, Jessica Hecht is Aunt Lavinia back. Oh, I mean, yeah. Yep. Fantastic. Fantastic. But that's why I bring her up is let's go to the cure for wellness. You know, let's oh, yeah. go to the water cure. <laughs> yeah. How do you pick that spot? Is that a location? That is a location. Yeah, that's a location. That's an old um, mansion in Long Island. Um, oh, where? And, right by me? Uh, it's near Sands Point. Kings Point. I was going to say it's Kings Point, right? 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, Sands Point by Lido Gold, Beach, you're saying. Yeah, Sands Point. Yeah, Gold Coast, Gold, 19th century Gold Coast. Right. Um, Long Island. There's a lot of great old houses up there. So uh, I was Bar Mitzvah. That's where yeah. you live? You live? Or you're, no, you're I was Bar Mitzvah yeah. at Sands oh, Point. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying, go on. It's a part of the world there. It's beautiful. Although these houses are incredible. Some of them are falling apart, too. Um, they're very expensive to maintain, as you can imagine. But a lot of them are used for film location. So we found one, and these spas were like another, they were historically, they were all the time. People were going to take these water cures. You know, it's very similar to the kind of wellness culture now, but in its Victorian version. So we wanted it to be kind of, the, to, we wanted it to be a beautiful, elegant space. But then, so we went into that space and it's empty. So we had to bring in all the tubs and I, the scene where Jessica's dunked in that tub, we had to build that whole tub. It, it was hilarious when we shot it because the water to be boiling hot. So our special effects, I think we had it up to freeze or something. It looks like it's freezing cold because yeah. she's a brilliant actor, but I remember she was saying, like, make it scalding <laughs> so no one else can stand being in it, and I'll be happy. <laughs> I mean, so did you base it on a real spa and anything historic, or did you just take this from your mind? No, we based it, we had, we there was not one particular spa, but we had lots of research of different spas. So, like, the, the, the all the treatments are based on things that were really done at the time, like the wrapping and cold blankets, the dunking pool. I mean, the, those were all real things. The, the mud baths, they did all of those things. They did a lot of, like, yeah, it's crazy. And there's, I mean, some of them are so silly, like the one that where um, Emily's just sitting in a chair and they just dump a bucket of water on her head. That was a real thing. <laughs> yeah, she almost looked that. surprised. She really looked surprised. <laughs> well, I guess you have to remember, it's a time when there was no internal plumbing. So, you know, having a lot of fresh water was pretty i think just being clean you felt better right? it's not a joke it's really yeah. true well, we also noticed at the time that people didn't have a lot of fresh water to drink so if you just went somewhere and took a bath and drank fresh water you'd feel pretty good in the mid-1850 right? yeah but it's no joke okay wait so so i want to i want to ask a, a little bit of a deeper question and maybe there is no answer to it maybe there is you tell me was there as you get into this, how does the production design relate to Haley's character? Oh, well, that's, that's interesting. It, it does because, um, you know, the, the show is, is, I mean, there, we have many characters and we, we focus on a lot of different characters, but it really is from the point of view, the protagonist of the show is Emily Dickinson. So it's from her point of view, from her. And I think, and this is another aspect of the show I haven't really talked about, which Elena stresses a lot, is there's almost like a surreal, uh, psychedelic quality to the way she sees the world. And that definitely influences the way we create the world. And, you know, this crazy maze, this luxurious house, like, it's it's heightened reality. It's not, it's not, it's not, like I said, you know, it's not a museum piece. It's not a deadpan, realistic piece. It's like looking through I guess the best way to put it is like looking through the world of a, you know, an artist's eyes, a poet's eyes and how you see, how you see that. So that's definitely a guiding principle in the way we make decisions about the look. Well, that's really fascinating because really what you're saying is that what we're seeing is not even necessarily how it looks. It's how she thinks it looks. Right. Yeah. In a, in a way, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, exactly. How she would see it. Totally. So so did the did, did the fact that she had this uh, iritis, which I thought was great, oh yeah, did that play into the colors and how you're designing? You know, this idea of how she's seeing things. I guess it did, right? 
Yeah, the, the the way things are just heightened. That there, we you know we use a lot of saturated colors. That also has a lot to do with the the way um, our director of photography, um, you know, like the way everything's lit and the way it's seen. Um, that it's given. It it's. I don't know that you know that's not something we ever consciously talk about. But when you say it that way, that's true. The iritis is something that came up in you know obviously in season two when she goes to the doctor but that's you know literally you have flashes of light so um and lights how we make images so it's it's it is part of that and then i just saw the picture of the opera scene and then you know then you see you know we very much in that scene see that opera through her eyes where she's actually projecting you know herself on you know onto that character that becomes sue and that's that's you know a really literal example of the world just transforming into emily's will it, it really is incredible. I wanted to talk a little more about the opera. So you said you turned an old movie theater into this opera house. And now, did you base this on a real opera house? I mean, I was noticing the lanterns as the floodlights, which was fascinating to me. Yeah. A lot of the like detail is based on real theatrical um, equipment of the time. It's really hard to find good pictures of theaters in the United States in the 1850s because they theaters, I discovered, like burned down every 10 years <laughs> in the 1850s. So none of them are around. The oldest, the oldest ones we could find, like the Philadelphia Academy of Music, I think is around 1860. There's a couple, but there aren't many. So there's not a lot of examples to go on. But, you know, there's etchings and historical pictures. And I also wanted, we also wanted it to be an opera house of the time in America would not have been as luxurious. It probably would have been a little more austere. Mm-hmm. But we really wanted this fantasy. Like they, they leave Amherst and they go to Boston, they go to the opera. It really wanted to have that kind of um romance to it so it was really hard to find the location and we walked we went into this uh the lowe's uh theater in jersey city which is a dilapidated old beautiful uh, movie house from the 20s and the theater itself was totally inappropriate it's like a 3000 seat theater it's falling apart there were cardboard boxes and all the seats and it's like but when we walked through the lobby the lobby is beautiful and it's a horseshoe shape like a european opera house and that was like the moment i walked in is we're just going to do it here we're just going to build the stage in the lobby and we're going to and the boxes it was kind of like amazing because we have all these scenes where the characters see each other across the opera house in their boxes and that's the way that lobby is designed it's like a little mini opera house Wait, so you, whoa, 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 hold on. You fucking built that in a lobby? You built that entire set? Yeah, we built the entire set in the lobby. The entire <laughs> opera house is in the lobby of, of the Lowe's Theater. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. And and it's, uh, it's yeah, they built really nice lobbies in the 1920s. <laughs> yeah. Well, you really that. are like a Harold Rourke, huh? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, it's it's something special because I mean, you can walk into a lobby. I mean, I would I would never in a million years think that was a lobby, and there was so much importance to it. I have to geek out for a second and ask you a question. When she's backstage, and you know, I'm not giving anything away. I just want to ask when she sees Adelaide May's, uh, you know, dressing room, and she's about to go in there. I don't think that uh, gives yeah. anything away. I, I noticed something that was so interesting that Adelaide May's name is in script above. The it's almost like engraved in the wall. Uh, what was the choice on that? And it was gorgeous, but it was subtle. And I was like, was that something you decided on? Was that something from history? Would they carve her name in it? What what was going on there? Sorry, just a little geeky. Yeah, well, well that was, we were you know part of it. That's a kind of interesting design thing because part of it is like that's a story point that we needed to ex- make in the design. We need to know that she's seeing her dressing room. And like today, you know, if you go to a Broadway or opera house dressing room they just have a little name card in the door that was just sort of our invention of what would you know 
she's supposed to be this, you know, the one of the most famous op- sopranos in the world. And she's singing. Studied with Verde. Yeah, they would have done something nice. You know, that's that's definitely like an exaggeration, but something that like in the story and poetically seemed important. It did because it, it stuck out to me. But now from our interview, it's really, I'm going to have to go back. I think I'm going to watch it again now the whole season because now I'm wondering like, is that only how she saw it? I mean, yeah, it, yeah. You know, I mean, because it was such a big deal. I mean, she's seeing these women empowered, which is something that we haven't seen, you know, and for, of course it's, it's true. Yeah. Which away maybe, from her. You know, maybe it would have seen been seen very differently by man at the time for sure. Yeah, or, like a shitty little dressing room. Like, Oh, look. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 yeah, Her admiration. And also like, it's like, she's meeting a fellow artist, right? Yes. Uh Oh, Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. See, I knew this was going to go fast, Neil. I know, right? (laughs) It really does. I mean, it's, I I have so many more questions, so I'm just going to say, Jason, do you have anything you'd like to ask? Well, first I'd just like to thank you for this show. It keeps, uh, it keeps Cliff off the street, and so I don't have to go, <laughs> you know, find him and pick him up anywhere. So I really appreciate that, and I really, I honestly, I really enjoy the show. This is something that I was able to get down with and watch with my my daughter, and she actually didn't hate, and we could enjoy it together, which <laughs> I love. Good, right? It's it's you know I, I I you know it's one of those things when you have kids, and she's sixteen, but I can't get her to do anything she doesn't want to do, and um, I, <laughs> she was into this, so I'm really appreciative of that, uh, especially. Thank yeah. you. Oh, that's it, good to hear. Tour de force, Neil. I, I, I see awards. I, I see all kinds of stuff. So please, when you're nominated, will you please come back and talk to us some more? Anytime. It's a pleasure. Awesome. Well, um, Dickinson, start um, the first season, the first season two. First three episodes come out on Friday. And then um, the rest of the season is going to be released every Friday from there on. Oh, over. we're so yeah. lucky. We got to see the whole thing. Oh, I know, my right? God, I feel so blessed. I know. That's so cool. Yeah. I don't have to wait. <laughs> Neil, I can't thank you enough for being here. This has been an absolute pleasure. And and please, anytime, come back. This is awesome. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, thank I you so much. Show and thank you. Thank you, Neil. You. Neil thank Patel, so ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. How awesome was that? Dickinson season two, Apple TV Plus. Apple TV Plus. When is it? This, Friday. It's coming out Friday. It's Friday, this Friday, three episodes. So everybody else gets to watch three. You already got to watch all of them, but three. I'm going to watch it again. I know. And then one every week. Can I just tell you something real quick before we get into it? I mean this all sincerely. Good. You know, normally I make a big joke about that it has something to do with my junk and the MeUndies and stuff. Today, I just want to say mm-hmm. that I want a pair of MeUndies that look like his uh, uh, scarf. Scarf. Yes. yes, it looks so comfortable. It does. It looks gorgeous. I love it. I can't pull it off, but I started thinking like I well, wish you could, could pull, pull it off that with that mustache. Off. Can you rip the mustache off? Put the scarf on, please. I and, I, and just don't get me wrong. I'm not going to keep you too long. I know you have a, a middle school baseball team to coach, but um, I just want to. <laughs> I gotta get. <laughs> I gotta get this out. Um, I, I just, I, I really love that. Uh, I love this thing, but I, it just did. I, when we talk about production design, this is my, my favorite day to talk about me undies, um, because <laughs> it's just gonna be so many ideas. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, there, there's actually a bunch of new me undies that just came out today. Uh, they just started out with, uh, they have a new spaced out version. So oh. it's all like space print, uh, NASA stuff. And, uh, I like that. yeah. And, uh, and constellations and, uh, just, just and then just uh, just shuttles and the moon, so it kind of looks like balls and and wings. So I'm also happy about that. <laughs> and and by the way, everything's still there. It's still ninety nine a month for the membership, right? Mm-hmm. So you can get that every month. They send you stuff. By the way, if you don't like it, they'll give you your money back. They don't care. 
They're winning all across the board, MeUndies. I'm sure some idiots return it. Sorry, no offense. I'm sure some people, very nice, good people, return it, and then they sign back up again. Yep. No, absolutely. I mean, I'm sure they do a few people, but, and they don't, they don't care about that stuff, but they, you know, I I think what they rely on is just being really good. So stuck at home, uh, is offering 15% off. If you go to meundies.com and use offer code stuck and yeah. And if, and if I can get a, if I, if I can get that scarf turned into a pair of meundies, I'm going to just so you know, turn a pair of meundies into that scarf. That's exactly either way. I'll go with, I'll go both directions. I'll go both directions. I'm leaving Um, that alone. Listen, <laughs> I just want to, you know, go back to this Dickinson show because this is, you know, before we go on to everything else, I just want to say how kind of, you know, how fun this show is. And like, why don't they do more of this kind of stuff? Like, you know, like, you know, this, you know, it's not the same thing, obviously, but like, what was that uh, show with uh, Sean and Sossman and uh, the Knight's Tale where you take these kind of fun. Heath Ledger. Keith Ledger, and you, you have these, you know, and Dickinson does it the same thing where you have this really fun version of history. So you kind of feel like you're learning something, but also you're really just engaging in a really cool story from an interesting perspective. Why do you think yeah. they don't do more of this kind of stuff? Uh, I mean, I'll tell you what. I mean, I think it's, I, I think it really is a writer medium. You know, you have to have a really great writer to do that. And I think that's why Night's Tale didn't work as well, you know, because the important thing about these things that I notice, and especially what Dickinson does and Elena and, and her team, Elena and her team, is that they make a brilliant social commentary throughout. So they're able to parallel what we're going through right now. Mm-hmm. And they're using hip hop music. You know, they're right. using this lush design. And I think in the, I don't even remember, but in like, I think it was the first or second episode when they're talking about Sue's salons, she's like, oh, Sue is really an influencer. Like, you know, right. they're, they're, they're getting into all it's these language, things yeah. and, and they're using this social commentary across the board that is so relatable today. And I think that's a, that's a very delicate mix and it really yeah. takes a genius writer or a really well seasoned writer to kind yeah. of get that across in a way where like, like uh, Neil said, it's not a museum show. Right. Right. It's, 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 it's a living, breathing and it feel it, it's just that modern feel to some of this stuff. Like, I don't know. I, Hamilton didn't work for me, but Dickinson does, you know, Night's Tale does. There's something very different about it to me in, in the way it's presented. Um, and yes. you know, it, that just feels right. And, uh, you know, I just, I was just curious. It just seems like such a, such an abusable genre that yep. hasn't been abused, which I'm grateful for. Don't get me wrong. Like right. there's so many different things you can screw up in that way, but, uh, I just, <laughs> but it just seems like something that would be like a no brainer. Like why aren't, you know, you got Chaucer on Night's Tale, obviously got Emily Dixon here. Like right. we haven't seen Twain yet. Or uh, Poe, like just a dark, you know. Poe's like, coming. Poe's coming for Poe's sure. Coming. <laughs> Poe's, I know that. I heard it. I heard it. Yeah. <laughs> I just yeah. heard it. But it is. Yeah. <laughs> for Never sure. But, Never but more. But it is. It's a, de- it's a delicate balance, man. And it takes a really great writer to find it. You know, to find it like for Haley's character to be saying like, oh, yeah, that's on brand. Yeah. You know, like uh, yeah. those little lines even. Yeah. For those to work, first of all, you need an amazing cast to pull mm-hmm. it off. Yeah. And really, you also have to talk about the expense of it. You know, they, they built Evergreens. I mean, right. that's insane. Yeah. Yeah, it's, that's true. It's like, you know, I can't even imagine the budget on this show. Is it $100 million? I don't know. <laughs> you know for real. I mean, it, it is a lot. I mean, they put a lot episodes. of stuff into it. Yeah. It's no I mean, less this than was, $5 million an ep. Yeah, well, I mean, and that's what's really interesting. But now all I want to do now is create the American Authors uh, Cinematic Universe. So you got Poe. And eventually you're gonna get Melville, and then eventually um, you'll have them all team up and they'll fight Moby Dick. So it'll be just called Dick. <laughs> wait, wait, 
<laughs> do it. Does Hemingway come in later, like yeah, much later? But he yeah, comes in. Much, much later. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Hemingway's not a bad one, but it's a little more contemporary. Let's go contemporary. Even We're all going Victorian. You know, you got the row. You're going to have like the, that, that, that Dr. Strange one where you go into your brain, you know? <laughs> I like that. And and then we can do like a Dostoevsky with Crime and Punishment. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. The, on the other side and bring it all together into one big, yeah. Yes, like they did with The Great. Oh, that's another one. The Great. Yeah, there's another one. There's another one. But, you know, that's, but that's what's funny. That, but look but at that's that writer, Mc, The McKenna. ones that do it right. Are, are like setting themselves up for pure like gold. Emmy gold, you know, right? But they have to do it right. And that's what I'm really impressed by about this show. I, I don't mean to, I didn't mean to continue on with that. I know we're done with that interview, but I just really think that that's something special that they've, they've kind of come up with, so. Yeah, I know. And reminded me now, I'm just going to say it once. I wrote a line on Entourage where drama just goes about the Emmys. Always wanted one of those little winged angels. <laughs> that sounds like an actually an Emily Dickinson line. Like if she's going <laughs> to... Well, there's a lot of those. I mean, even saying like fame is a fickle food, there's all these great uh, uses of her poetry within the dialogue and still keeping it contemporary. It even makes her poetry feel more contemporary. Yeah, absolutely. And well, you got way, Wiz Khalifa teaching. there. Yeah. Oh, but it's teaching kids. You yeah. know, it's like if you're watching this, you're, you're, you're not realizing you're learning something, but you really are. And Absolutely. I know a lot about Emily Dickinson's history and her relationship with Sue and like what Sue buried Emily with, you know, this is not a, a you know, this is facts. I don't know what they're going to do in the show. You know, right. that's years away. My point is that I know a lot about this and to be able to kind of fuse it together the way they did and still keep the accuracy they have with their relationship, which is really the focal point of the show. And then build it out to this thing that where like kids can go like, Oh shit, I get this. I like this. I'm, I'm into this. And still my weird brain is like, Oh, I'm learning stuff. And this is very historically accurate, but yet it's a nice spin. <laughs> I like it. I like it. All right. Um, so do you want to talk a little about, I mean, like I could talk about Legion. Yeah. We, let's do a little Legion. Let's talk a little Legion. Um, okay. There's not a ton of news. Um, tell you know, me speaking, of, news. speaking of, um, you know, writing and knowing all that stuff, you do kind of look like you uh, run a small library in the back of a, uh, of a coffee shop, right? Like you're just back there as a the proprietor, like take any book you want, just put it back. Shh. When did you teach a, did you teach an orphan chess once? I, I just. <laughs> yes, I was a janitor in an orphanage and I taught this young girl chess. They, supposedly they made a series out of it. It was in my earlier days when I couldn't get work. It's fine. <laughs> you know, I, it's fine. I feel like I, I saw you as a background extra in that queen movie. I was an extra in a trauma, in a trauma movie called a Kabuki Man. Oh, tra uh, in a trauma movie? Yeah. Oh, Lloyd Kaufman awesome. made me an extra in Kabuki Man. That's amazing. That's it's amazing. a thing. It happened. Yeah. I met I met Lloyd um, at the premiere of uh, Father's Day. His his version of Father's Day, yeah. not the Robin Williams Billy Crystal movie. A very very different movie. Uh, but yeah, what a guy. Yeah. Okay, so let's All get right. into let's get into that because there really isn't a ton of news of this stuff that I want to talk about in this particular show. Um, <laughs> I know there's other news because I unfortunately I couldn't avoid. Someone had to tell me. Like yeah. people have to tell me it's, it's like a thing. Like, listen, I know you don't watch the news, but at least you ask if I want to hear it. You're the <laughs> only one who asks me. Everyone yeah. else just it thrusts it upon me. Like Gerard Butler has been thrust upon us since 300. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I, I don't, why, why we got 15 years of Gerard Butler now because one movie. No, <laughs> no that's how I feel here. I got one piece of news that I do want to share tell with me you. What you got. I'm just going to put this up here. So, uh, this, if you can't tell, this is the peacock, uh, this is the Peacock pricing structure. Mm -hmm. And so this is the current advertising. They're completely selling Peacock based on what version of the office 
how much of the office you can watch. They know that that's the only thing they got going right now. So you don't crazy. have anything else. So what they're doing is they're basically breaking down their tiers by what versions of the office. So just so you guys know, if you ever feel like getting Peacock, you don't really need to. Um, and you want to, the free Peacock will allow you to watch the first two seasons of The Office, plus some other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, if you pay $5 a month, you can get every episode of The Office, plus extended cuts, but tons of commercials. And for $10, you can watch all of The Office without ads. But that's a, that is currently how... Uh, <laughs> how they're structuring their entire business plan around is around the office. The office. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing I think about all of these uh, uh, network streamers, right? I think that they're not going to be sustainable. What is going to happen is that I think there's going to be a bigger streamer that mm-hmm. absorbs them, almost like DirecTV absorbed the networks. You know, like, oh, you get NBC, ABC, CBS, and they're still ad-based. I think that's how it's going to be. I think it's going to be like, oh, if you buy, uh, you know, uh, Netflix, let's say, you also get Peacock and for an extra price. Or you can watch Peacock with ads. That's how I think it's going to end up falling. I don't think they're going to be standalones. I don't think it'll last. I don't think, because look at what they're doing. This is idiocracy. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're basing it on how many episodes of The Office you have. I mean, what is that saying about your library? Yeah, no, Absolutely. It's, it, it seems ridiculous to me, and I don't think it's a, uh, it's a, it's a recipe for, uh, you know, longevity. That's all I'm saying. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. I think, that, you know, there's better stuff to be in there, but um, yeah. So tell me about Legion. So you've started Legion now, and you've gotten through a little bit of it. How far are you? Uh, I'm almost done with the first season. Okay. What are you and thinking? How are you feeling? I, I'm loving it. What's the guy's name? Hero? Uh, what's it? Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, which guy? The director? Uh, hero, uh, oh, yeah, HIR, yeah, the guy who yes. did, um, uh, like he does all the music videos. He did, um, he's like, the, he did all of Atlanta. Yeah, this yeah, guy. guy, he directed episode, I think it was six, at least is the one I noticed, which was the freakiest episode I've ever seen. I mean, this is some, there's something so esoteric about this show while still being so incredibly commercial. I know I'm late to the party on it, granted, though I'm almost glad I am because I get to binge all three seasons. Hi, Steph. I get to binge all three seasons, and on top of that, it's getting to watch it sort of myopically, where where I'm not just waiting each week for something. Hi, Steph. Where I'm waiting each week. I just like her walking back. Each time. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> I love Stephanie. All right, so so it, where I'm not waiting each week and just thinking about plot points, I'm getting to really immerse into. This is a. I am shocked this show works, let alone that it's great, because this is such a heady show. This is basically inside this dude's head. Most of it is in the astral plane, you know, and how do you put that on paper? I mean, there's a moment where they're in a room and you see on the wall, these eyes appear and they just blink. And it's like, what? who's thinking of this? And then how is it going on the page? And then how are they actually keeping me suspense? You know, the suspense is there. I'm still on the edge of my seat about it, you know, but yet even though half the time I'm so fucking confused. Right. Right. That makes sense. I mean, you've seen the whole thing. So, what is it about it to you that makes it so special? I, I mean, I think that you know, I like being confused about it. I like there being a story. It's just not a straightforward tale. Like, there's a lot of twists and turns, and this as it goes along. It, it doesn't sit on any of your expectations. It's, it's a superhero movie, but it's not a superhero movie. 
it's a, it's a meditation and like why, you know, it's in, in mental health, you know, and, and exploring these people and their, their pieces. And I don't know, there's just something about this show that also feels very deep. Like, I feel like I'm learning something a little bit. I'm learning mm-hmm. about, maybe it's about me or about people. It gets even crazy. The second season is even crazier. And then the third season's like out of control. It just, they, the other part of this one is it feels like, like you said, this one is like, it takes risks. Every episode can be different. Season two has got this weird narration by John Hamm that doesn't make any sense until like episode six or seven. Mm. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just so weird. Like, and everything you think, you know, and it's part of the reason when you were telling me like what it's about and trying to explain it to people, you were absolutely right in telling and saying like, this is about this. You think this, you know, you think you're crazy and and you hear all these voices and then you find out that it's this. I can tell you that after you watch this whole thing, it's much harder to make that act. That's not the whole story. And that may not even be the intent. And that's what's so cool about this because every single uh, 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 chapter of this re- and every single season of this really broadens and, and, and brings another kind of element to the show. Plus, there's just some weird ass shit. I like weird ass shit. I like seeing weird ass shit on TV. I do too. I also like risks. I like things that you look at and you go, how is this on TV? This is awesome. This seems like this never got past the suit. How did this Mm -hmm. get past suits? You know, like how did they say, yeah, okay, go do that for FX. (laughs) Exactly. You know, I think Noah, right? Yeah. Noah Hawley or Howley. Yeah, I mean, no. I think so. I think there's other. I think there's other creators that could have done it, but I guess not, right? I mean, like, well, for FX, to, I mean, let's see what I'm saying. What I mean is, it's easy. Set, hey, you want to put on clothes before you go on my live stream, or are you only fans in it? <laughs> there's a there's a person walking by behind Jason. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, kids, man. Kids. All right. Like, okay, but but what I'm saying, okay, so so what were we just saying? We're saying that. Well, I was saying, Holly, well, I was yeah. saying, Noah Holly, you know, you know, he's got the credibility of doing what he's done with um, with Fargo mm-hmm. for FX. So it's it's a lot smaller a jump for for him than it would be for almost anybody else. They're like, okay, yeah, you could do this. Like that's what I mean for FX. There are a lot of people that could have put out a great show and utilized this material, but Noah had the credibility with FX already to make this thing happen as fast as he was able to. And, 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 and I think probably get away with some stuff. Other people couldn't like, you couldn't do those dance scenes. You couldn't do some of those weirder pieces and you haven't even got to even close the weirder set pieces. Like, Oh, that's cool. Yeah. There's some crazy shit that starts going on. This one's, this one's great. And, um, you know, but you haven't, you know, we, you still haven't seen the yellow man, right? He hasn't actually come out of anybody. Right. Um, we've seen him. We saw, we see the fat guy. We see the fat guy. Yeah. Not the yellow man. We haven't seen the yellow man. But here's the thing. Aubrey Plaza, who obviously is just a genius, you know I mean? She's really something, but I hate her. Oh yeah. I hate her. I want to kill her. Like, I, and that means she's just even that much better. Like, cause yeah. she is so, and at first you're like, is she cute? Is she a great best friend? Is she sexy? Is this, oh, she's horrible. She's horrible. Oh, and she's so annoying and you just want to slam her. And you're just like, oh my God, she's so good. I hate her so much. She's amazing in this show. And again, Ooh. she's got another, she's another one that has an arc and is actually gets to do some stuff here. They really open it up for this cast. Like, I didn't know who Dan Stevens was. My wife obviously knew because he's from, uh, is that the lead? Yeah. Never seen him in my life. Who is this guy? You've seen him. Yeah. He's in, uh, uh, Downton Abbey. He's English. Yeah. (laughs) This guy's a Downton Abbey guy. Yeah. He's great. Oh, this guy is special. Holy crap. He's Downton Abbey. Yeah. He's Downton Abbey. I didn't recognize him. 
I didn't either. <laughs> but only, I got my wife to watch like five minutes of the show because you saw him. He's like, oh, Dan Abbey, I love yeah. this. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I'm out. Yeah, and then she goes, I'm going to walk by. Hey, <laughs> hey, Sarah, come back by. Walk, walk around the block. I mean, in fairness, it was a workout thing. It's, in fairness, it was not. It was a weird thing that I didn't want to buy that she ended up buying off some Chinese website. And it doesn't matter. <laughs> oh, this is what you get with us. You get it all. You get family life, you get content. We you don't get all the around. stuff. You get all the stuff. But yeah, he's great. I just think that, you know, I think that, that you know, we, 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 we get this stuff from FX and it's another one of those places that I don't want to ever sleep on. You know, mm. FX is such a cool. Devs devs right like and they don't get this and, and and the thing i think for that's weird about it is like devs again and legion i don't know if anybody watched them but us right like but it's so great it feels in a weird sort of way like they're making tv just for me because i don't have anybody else to talk to about except you and that's why i need you to watch this so bad but if the rest of the world isn't seeing this i, I don't know what they're doing it, it's very interesting, but what we do see is a trend with FX that is, uh, you know, a very smart trend. Uh, I don't even want to say a trend. I think it's a mandate. They are creator-driven. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, taking Noah, and Noah had nothing. You know, he didn't have, like, major credits before Fargo. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with the Always Sunny guys. You know, they had nothing. They had made a 15-minute uh, pilot that uh, my friend Todd uh, helped shoot. And, uh, you know, John Landgraf buys it and puts it, you know, they, Landgraf has this kind of crazy genius. You know, he's like a maniacal genius who's like not fear-based at all, which is a rarity in Hollywood. This is a guy who says, you know what? Okay, I like this. You, Billy Bob Thornton, go. And he gets a hit. He's like, okay, this 15-minute little pilot presentation with you bunch of weirdos, genius. Here's a bunch of money. Go make your show. And, you know, Louis C.K., same thing. It's like, you know, who? no one knew Louis before that show. People knew right. him. I mean, he had his HBO show, but he was a, like a, you know, a little cult, cultish kind of guy, you know? He was like the comedian's comedian. Landgraf's like, go. Here's $300,000 an episode. Go make your little show. Emmys, Emmys hits. But I'm saying he does things. But even if you look at the surrealism, and I think that's what it is. I think we see in Fargo, in Legion, in Louie, in um, what was the other one? And Devs. There is a surrealism that is the undertow of all of these things. Like uh, the Louie show, there's that episode where he's just walking, he's about to go on a blind date, and the guy gets hit by the car and his fucking head is decapitated. And you're like thinking, oh, it's a fantasy sequence. It's like, no, this is Salvador Dali's mind. This is the, you know, this is like, that just happened. And I think that that is what we see in the risks that FX takes. And I think a lot of times, I mean, I guess they're paying off, but maybe they're not. For me, they are. Yeah, I mean, they're good. I mean, even, I know, and I know you didn't really get into the show, but like Dave, right? That one about uh, that, Right, rapper. Yes. Um, also, still surreal for what it was. You can that could have been a mindless, a lot more mindless comedy, but they still are digging in, and the, the, it's the surrealism, but it's also tied to real emotions and real like. It may not be a fully, it may be a little bit of a fantastical plot, but it's also dealing with emotions, things that just don't get talked about on television as much either. And so by you the way, spark new thoughts and all that stuff. And isn't uh, Archer on FX? Mm-hmm. This, I mean, look, that's also surreal. I mean, yep. they'll do an entire season inside his coma brain. Yeah, or four seasons. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not, you're not wrong. But again, you know, you're seeing these things that I, I don't feel most other streamers, or I guess the word network still applies, are doing. Yep, they do great. Uh, they do good work. And I'm glad you like this show. And I really am excited to see what you think of the end of this season. And then as we go on, because I think this is one of those ones that do a thing. Oh, we do have a question. Cliff, are you going to support yes. a handlebar mustache soon? 
Uh, I'm trying to listen, but all I can watch is your upper lip. I get it. I get it because you're afraid, right? Like, so you keep like an this. eye on it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You can go full on. Uh, I was going to wonder, you because you could go full on Hulk Hogan, right? You can go with the Hogan stash. If I did it, I'd go convict. Oh, uh, got it. Got it. Yeah. yeah. Like, whatever yeah. the. Uh, oh, the don't worry. You look like you should be arrested right now. Don't, don't give me. Yeah, but I'm not yet a convict. Yeah. When you got, uh, yeah. <laughs> Once I got arrested, it grows down. Once you get a rap sheet, the mustache grows. The more times you're arrested, the more mustache you have. So I might get a little soul patch. Oh, you're so funny. Um, uh, it's not. Yes, Nancy. No, I don't know. I I don't even know I mean, if I'm going to keep it. It's just worth comedic uh, value right now. It looks, it's like you got you stole Brooke Shields' eyebrow, left eyebrows <laughs> on your face. I mean, listen, I just, uh, I'm in the process. It's funny. I'm in the process of, you know, I can't really talk about it. You know, but I'm in the process of selling this new movie, I guess, short form content, but it's a franchisable thing. Mm-hmm. It's going to, it's, it's very, I'm very happy about it. But I tell my, uh, Dylan today, I tell my son, he's like, it's the new look, dad. <laughs> I'm like, don't try to get me to keep this mustache. No, you should. No, I want you to keep it too. I, I really do. <laughs> Do you? I want to keep it, yeah, we'll keep a lot of people from asking questions about me and just keep the family focused Eugene, on you. Eugene Levy's eyebrow. <laughs> <laughs> just raising it. Okay. So, so Lee, but I have a lot to look for. Is it renewed or is it over? Is that three no, it's seasons? Over. Three seasons. It's a, it was the full series is just those three seasons. So, um, but if it's there's, nice. clo- there, there's closure in it, um, it's a really interesting story. Um, all the way through, which I think, um, uh, watching it through a second time, you know, it's definitely one of those ones that hits you kind of from the, in the gut when you realize what the real story is. Um, mm-hmm. but in a good, in a, in a way that you're completely compelled the entire time. Okay. So let's take a minute. Cause we only have a few minutes left. I, tell me a little about this Nick Cage thing. Cause I okay. saw the masterpiece theater, James Lipton beard, and he's by a fireplace with the, like the velvet suit with the ascot. I, it was exactly how I thought he'd be. You know, but just tell me what the hell's going on with this because I haven't watched it yet. All right. So it's called Netflix's. It's called History of Swear Words. I'm just going to put it on the screen while we talk so you can see the the Nick Cage of it all. Um, right. And so. he's going through these swear words. It's like the etymology. It's the it's the entire history of where like fuck comes from. <laughs> right. Yeah. So basically what you have is you have Nick Cage sitting there. That's the history of pussy. And he just sits there on the couch and he talks about a swear word. So this one's bitch, I'm sure. This one's talking about how MILF became a word that they used to uh, whatever. But it's basically like a um, history of the words. It's actual history. And you got really funny people like Sarah Silverman, our boy Open Mike Eagles in there. Yeah. Um, Joel Kim Booster. In this particular one, it's really funny. One of my favorite people in here is this historian. She she specializes in the history of spell swear words. And, and that's her job. Except Every time she swears, she squeaks a little because I don't think she's ever really said swear words, but she's happy to, she's happy to use them all. She's great, but oh, she just that? looks That's so that Nikki Glazer. Nikki Glazer's in there. She's uh, Nick Cage is in here and he's wearing so much makeup on his face and he has the same beard that uh, my friend, our, our friend, uh, Sean Kittleson has. And yeah. so I keep every, all, all while I was watching this, like, Sean, you need to go as Nick Cage in the swear words documentary for Halloween next year. I mean, the only thing Nick has uh, more makeup on, I guess, is is more uh, more than makeup on his face is dye in that beard. Oh yeah, oh hundred percent. That's like a shoe polish beard. Yeah, oh it is. It is. It's it fantastic. might be a Ron Pope Hill, one of those spray on beards. 
I, I, I want data. It's on, and you can tell he's making a joke of it. He's not, you know, oh, this yeah. is him tongue in cheek. It's not like he's trying to be, oh, I have this beard. He's like, no, how you think I'm going to look? I am going to look. And I'm going to take away all your power from making fun of me because I'm making yep. fun of myself. And that's genius. Yep. And so it's a real fun. It's tongue in cheek. He doesn't take himself too seriously. None of it is. And you get to learn the etymology and history of words like fuck, bitch, pussy, dick, damn, <laughs> shit. Yeah, like what Carlin started, they're trying to finish. And so they talk about, you know, we learned that, you know, there used to be a, I didn't realize this, there used to be a even stricter version of the MPAA and getting damn into uh, uh, Gone with the Wind was a very difficult task. Yeah, um, and, and, you know, and they'll use the, you know, what's always found so interesting, I know we have to wrap up, they'll use the word damn, but if someone says, uh, you know, God, I don't yep. like to use the whole, uh, yep. but they'll bleep God. They yep. won't bleep damn. Right, because goddamn yeah, fascinating. Yeah, it, it's definitely really interesting. There's a lot of stuff in there about that. Those well, there kinds is. Of, yeah, yeah. They talk about like how God, you know, with goddamn or or dick, where you can't call you can call somebody a dick, but you can't refer to it as a dick. So if you like, dicks dicks beep is right. being a dick. You could get two dicks. One one only one of those three would be bleeped. Right, but stuff. if you say look at my dick, it's getting bleeped. Right. If, right, if, if you, you go look dick, at dick, if you said dick, look at my bleep. Right. <laughs> yeah. That you would get one that. in and one out. One in, one out. Right. Story of your I, sex tape. You might have convinced me to watch this. I'm just saying. I, here's what I'm going to tell everybody, and, and I know we got to go, okay. but um, watch. It's one of those things where you can just watch it whenever you feel like, right? Like, it's not something that you have to burn through if you don't want to, but it's something like in between. Like, if you, we watch some heavy shit sometimes. Yeah. Like, and, and I was uh, just talking with... Uh, uh, Kevin Andrew on stereo. If you get a chance to to listen to it, everybody else. But I, we did a whole talk Keith on, with Keith Andrew on um, on David Lynch and specifically on Twin Peaks. the The Showtime version of Twin Peaks is a lot. It's a lot of work sometimes because it's very heavy and there's a lot of stuff going on. You got to really pay attention. I it's feel the drained. perfect. Yeah, it's a perfect like uh, palate cleanser when you're like, I still got to go to bed, but I have these um, these frog moths stuck in my brain. And I, so let me listen to, let's, let me listen to, uh, to Nick Cage say fuck 20 different ways. Maybe and you can watch them out of order. Exactly. Exactly. So There's you no, just pick a curse word you like and watch it. That's right. I like it. All right. Well, we will be back Friday with our no guest Friday, which is, I can say days, right? Can mm -hmm. I say days? All right. Well, so, all right. This has been, I mean, again, it goes by in two seconds. This is a job. I can't believe it. Thank you all for making this our job. For real. So everyone stay safe, stay sane, stay strong. Jason Smith. Cliff Dorfman, I love you, everybody. Have a great fucking day. <laughs>